All right, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. If you want to turn there, we have some Bibles in the back if anyone needs one. I'm sure Rory wouldn't mind passing them out, would you, Rory? Yeah, if people need them, anyone need one? We'll get you one. Thanks, Rory. I appreciate that. Anyone else? No? <laughs> I, I just figured Roy wouldn't want to come to service and not do something. <laughs> Romans chapter 10. We're, we're going to look at Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but we really just want to focus on mainly verses 14 through 17. We'll look at other verses in the text, but I'm mainly going to kind of focus on there. Hopefully this will uh, make sense as we go along. So Romans chapter 10, follow with me. I'm going to read through the whole chapter and then we'll pray and we'll go into it together. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law or the fulfillment for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the part we want to focus on. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the, the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation and with a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he asks, or he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And Father, we pray that you would help us 
not only to understand why Paul is saying this, but how this should impact the way we live in 2023. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us here and that you would help us to see the priority of taking the gospel out, the priority of having beautiful feet. Please, Lord, meet us here for this. In Jesus' name, everyone agrees, says? So a lot of people will sort of say to themselves today, they'll say, well, why should I believe in Jesus when most people I know don't? And that's a legitimate question in one sense, because who of us wants to be kind of on the outside? None of us wants to feel like that we are marginalized, that we're pushed to the edges, that we're not part of the norm. None of us want to feel this way. And, and there's a similar question that actually the people that Paul is writing to in Romans 10 are asking, because they're wondering, wait a second, okay, how should we... How can we be sure that Jesus is God's chosen king when God's chosen people didn't, most of God's chosen people didn't accept him? And, and really in Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul's answering that question. What about Israel? And so Paul starts the chapter out by saying, hey, these, the, the Israelites, the, these are my brethren. You know, they're, they're his, physically his people. It's where he came from. He was Jewish. He says, these are my people and they have a zeal for God, but it's an ignorant zeal. It's not based on truth. And so what Paul wants to do in this section is he wants, to, he wants to show the readers that God still wants Israel to hear the gospel. Even though, by and large, they've rejected Jesus as God's chosen king, he still wants them to hear the gospel. And so the application for us is, even though we live in a society, in a culture that is apparently becoming less Christian, God still wants them to hear the gospel. And so really what we want to talk about today is, is really we want to hopefully catch a vision for God's desire to still save people and how God wants to use us, Servants Church, and individuals in that process. So let's talk about it. What, what does it look like to have beautiful feet? The first thing I want you to notice in verse 14 is beautiful feet need to be heard, not just seen. Look at verse 14. Paul, Paul says this. He says, starts this run of questions. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? There's a hint here about what faith looks like. That saving faith is a faith that prays. It's a, a faith that believes that God is there and that God's a rewarder of those who seek him in prayer. That's saving faith. It's convicting to think about that, isn't it? When we can be so slow to, to pray ourselves as believers. But this is what we need to understand. We need to understand that, that God, uh, God calls people to trust him enough to pray, but people aren't going to trust. They're not going to pray to someone they don't trust. And this is the thing that worries me about sometimes the way we do evangelism. Sometimes the way we, or not us as servants per se, but the church in the West, we tend to think evangelism is when you do sort of a big event and you invite people up and you ask people to raise their hand or come forward. Nothing wrong with doing those things. But we think what's going to happen is, what's going to happen is in the moment, they're going to be just convinced by the Spirit and they're going to get saved and they're going to say this prayer. That happens all the time. That's how I got saved. But the truth is, what people really need is, they really need to trust God enough to cry out to Him. 
maybe we need to help them with the, the initial words per se, but what they really need is to trust God enough to cry out to them. Our job is to show them and to explain to them why God is trustworthy. This is what we need to do. Again, look at verse 14. He says, and how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? People don't pray to someone they don't trust, and they don't, can't trust someone they don't know. We have to explain to people who God is. I heard a story of a well-known American evangelist years ago. Well, he ran a, a thing, his name was D. James Kennedy, and he ran a program called uh, Evangelism Explosion in the 70s and 80s. And he told a story when he was promoting this, this program about getting people to do the work of evangelism. He said a story that when he was in high school, and he wasn't a believer. There was someone in high school, this guy who he really admired. He thought, this guy is just a really solid guy. He was, a, he was, he was athletic. Uh, he, was, he was clever. He was a good student. Uh, he was good looking. He treated everyone really, really well. He had integrity. He didn't get caught up in all the kind of junk that teenagers get caught up in. Just a great guy. And he always wondered why, and he never knew. Until years later, when this D. James Kennedy became a Christian, he found out this guy was a Christian, and he asked the guy, why didn't you tell me what made you good? Because the reality is, we can see things that maybe as believers we recognize that's God's work in someone's life, or that's even common grace in someone's life. But it, it, the only way people know our motive for doing what we do is if we say, this is why we do this. This is, what we, this is who we trust. This is why we think he's trustworthy. Now drop down to verse 17, where Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, this is interesting. Because one of the things that, that Paul's saying here is he's saying, listen, people can't believe unless they hear, and they can't, what they need to hear is the truths about Jesus. So when I did youth work in California, um, we, we, uh, we did what most youth groups were told, most youth ministries were told not to do. We taught the Bible. So they were told, yes, go ahead and give a Bible verse or a Bible study or have that as a separate part of youth work. But when you, if you really want to draw the kids in, you got to come in, you got to give a really cool talk, got to keep their attention. And if you give them a really cool talk, that's what's going to eventually win them over to listen to you, to trust you. And then you can start to tell them about Jesus and then maybe they'll get saved. And maybe when they go off to university, they won't, uh, you know, they'll, they'll keep walking with God. And it was all about being attractive. It was all about kind of trying to draw kids in. And what, what I felt like I needed to do was to teach the Bible to whoever would listen, any teenager that was, would listen. And we had a season where the majority of our youth group was from non-Christian homes, from unchurched homes. And they were listening to Bible studies. And the thing was, they were listening to the Bible studies because they knew, okay, this guy's telling us about Jesus. Jesus is supposed to be really important. He's important to the people who invited us to, to this youth group. And so we'll, we'll check this out and we'll listen. We'll listen. Well, the church youth group began to grow, and we started feeling pretty good about ourselves. And someone came along and said, hey, guess what we want to do? We, really, we think your youth group's amazing, and so we want to build a skate park for you in your car park because we didn't have any cars in the car park, just like a few little rails where kids were skating on them. So the, the, these guys were professional BMX freestylists, and they built us. They got, they got the money, the, like I think it was $12,000 in wood, and they built us this beautiful um, skate park. 
skate and bike park. And we grew by probably another 50, 60% in about a month. But the kids that were from unchurched backgrounds that were coming, we were still teaching the Bible, but the kids that were from unchurched backgrounds who were coming before we built the skate park started to get a bit disillusioned. Because they said to us, look, look we're, we're not sure what we believe, but this seemed to be about Jesus, and now it seems to be about the cool place to hang out. It's easy for that to happen. Why do I say that? Because what people need to hear is they don't necessarily need to be preached at, but they do need to hear what God says. Now, some of you right now are thinking to yourself, maybe you're watching this and you're thinking this, you're thinking, well, that sounds like discipleship, not evangelism, but there is no difference. They are one and the same. If you seek to help people know that they can trust Jesus, they can walk with Jesus, uh, they, they, they can know Jesus, if we want to help people do that, you know what ends up happening? People who don't know Jesus get converted and start to know Jesus. They walk with Jesus. But if we just think, let's just kind of get them to say a prayer or get them to come to church or get them to fill out a card, and we just do that, not only do we sometimes get false converts, but we also don't really make disciples. In other words, you go for disciples, you'll get converts. You go for converts, you may or may not get them, and you may or may not get disciples. See, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Again, I hope at this point you're not thinking, okay, start being more preachy. That's not the point you'll get as we keep going. But the point is, the more saturated we are, the more convinced we are that what God says is true and who God is is trustworthy, the more we're able to share that with other people. In fact, the, the point I wrote here was that people need to hear about this, this someone, this Jesus, from multiple sources. Paul is not writing a letter to one person, but to an entire church. And this is often how it works. A few years ago, uh, there was an international student that had come to Servants, and uh, one of many, and she, she, she had uh, received the Lord that year while she was with us, and she wanted to get baptized. And so we talked to her about sharing her story, how, how she, she was converted, how she came to faith. And so she said, okay, I, I'm not really sure. I said, well, just write out what you think. I kind of gave her some, some guidelines. I said, just then, then write it out, and then we'll talk about it. And so she wrote it out, and I was so moved by the story. Because as she wrote the story about how she came to faith, she named about 12 different people from Servants Church who had impacted her. I, I was, I, I'm thankful I made the list. She's like, I really appreciated John's sermons. But she talked about, I really appreciated how this person challenged me when I was trying to make excuses not to believe. I really appreciated how this person would give me rides everywhere. I appreciated how this person invited me to their house. I appreciated how this person made sure they talked to me when I was feeling down and kind of sitting by myself. And on and on and on, she talked about how each of these different people impacted her toward Jesus. And she realized it's not these people that are so great, it's Jesus who these people believe that is so great. They all were sharing and showing the word of God to her. We see this in the scriptures, right? This is the resurrected Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 24. He told his disciples, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, all of us wish we could be like Peter, preaching at Jerusalem and 3,000 people get saved. That would be wonderful. But often we're, we're just those that on a day-to-day -day basis are, are sharing who Jesus is with anyone who will listen. Paul says it this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 3, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. He's talking about how the Corinthian church grew. This is a church in the midst of, of unbelievers, unchurched people, pagan, Gentiles. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. <coughs> Excuse me. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are, notice, co-workers in God's service. See, God's calling all of us to be ready to share what we know. I know you might think, I don't know that much. Or I'm not good with words. I can't be the one who says too much. You might think that. You might feel that. But here's the truth. The truth is, God wants to use each of us to reach people. Uh, when I was a, a young Christian, I heard a sermon where, where the kind of catchphrase for the sermon was, each one, reach one, and then all be reached. I don't know if you guys ever heard anybody say that before. And it was really catchy. Each, oh yeah, that's good. But then I put this pressure on myself to find that one, that one convert that I'll reach. And I got to say, I've been a Christian for 35 years, and I've been blessed to see many people uh, come to faith through the ministry, through, through the, the ministry of the churches I was involved in. But I have never once led an individual to the Lord. Like said the sinner's prayer, I've never been able to close the deal, ever. It's, it's frustrating sometimes. I mean, I've been at a point where I was talking to someone, and there, there's tears, and they seem to be repentant. They're ready to go. I'm like, would you like to pray to receive the Lord? <gasps> no, thanks. No. And then the next week, some other person gets a chance to pray with them to receive Christ. But that's okay. Because it's not about me reaching one person or you reaching one person. It's about us being used of God to preach the gospel, to say how good God has showed himself to be in Jesus. Does that make sense? Look at verse 15. Paul says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That phrase, preach the good news, it's one word in the Greek, which I won't pronounce, try to pronounce because Rory's here. And, <laughs> but it's where we get the word evangelism from, the English word evangelism. How beautiful are those who do evangelism. Now, now here's the thing that's important. He's talking about that, that we don't just, aren't just those who are ready to say what's true about Jesus. That we have to see ourselves as those who are called to go like Jesus. That we're sent. This is the point. Like Jesus, we need to consider ourselves sent. This is exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. Around the same time that, that we see in Luke's gospel, that verse we just read in Luke 24, about that same time, this is what Jesus says, and this is John's version. Listen, the resurrected Jesus says to the, his disciples again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father sent his Son. This is what we just celebrate in Christmas, right? The Father sends his Son as a human being to live a, a life, for, to know the Father, to the glory of the Father, and from that life lived comes the three and a half years of fruitful ministry in the last part of Jesus' life. God called him to a life of purpose. I'm here for the Father's glory. He sent me to bring glory to him. He sent me to make him known. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Do you get that? This is what your life is. 
Your life is not about being a missionary or a preacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a, a housewife or a teacher or whatever it is that you do. Your, your purpose in life, the reason God has saved you into his family, if you're a Jesus follower, is so that you can live the kind of life that he lived, which is a life that says, Lord, I'm here to bring more people into your family. It was so great on Christmas Eve. I don't know how many of you guys got to, to be here on Christmas Eve, but it was packed to the gills. We were, I think, all shocked and surprised. I think David said we had 115 people on Christmas Eve, which is crazy because we I actually thought Christmas Eve was going to look like it looks like today, and then today was going to look like what Christmas Eve looked like. That's what I thought was going to happen. But it was, a, it was, it was awesome. And, and about a third of the people that came on Christmas Eve were people from the estate who'd been invited. It was a great time. And it was crazy. It was, this is not too bad, actually, having the kids in the other room. We had all the kids in here, and it was so loud. But, but we, we were able to, in a very simple way, in a very short way, uh, preach the gospel. Plus, the music sounded great, and the gospel, of course, is in the songs. It was great. See, the thing is, is that, yes, it's great that we welcome these people. But it's important for us to recognize, okay, that, that God wants us to not just welcome people when they come, but to seek to bring them to him. In fact, listen, this is what, what, what <clears throat> Paul calls us, calls Jesus' followers in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. Talking about him and his team, but it applies to us as well. He says, God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are those who have been reconciled to God, who are calling other people to be reconciled to God. We are those who are saying, hey, man, Jesus made me right with God, and I'm calling you to get right with God through Jesus. This is what we're called to do. This is what we've been sent to do, to be ambassadors. And part of this is, like Jesus, we should be the ones who initiate relationship. One of the best uh, Bible texts uh, about seeing a good way to do evangelism outreach is Jesus with a woman at the well. And look what happens in John chapter 4, right? Jesus is going to use his need to meet the woman's need. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. You guys know the story, right? Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking a drink for me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In other words, it was a situation where there was no way she was ever going to initiate a relationship. So what happens? Jesus does it. I mean, isn't that what God has done with every single one of us? None of us chose God before he initiated a relationship with us. And he calls us to do that work of initiation, to try to build a relationship. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus. But also, like Jesus, when we're talking about here having beautiful feet, we're talking about proclaiming what God's Word says, okay? Also, we need to be like Jesus in the fact that we define the good news as Jesus. He is the good news, okay? In fact, this is what Jesus taught. He taught that He is the message of all the Scripture. And I hope as you guys come to Servants Church, as you guys hear the Word, that this is what you're getting out of it. I hope that you see our tagline, It's All About Jesus, is... Not just a tagline, it's reality. All the scriptures about Jesus. We're in Exodus, but it's still about Jesus. 
Uh, listen to what John said, or Jesus says in John chapter 5. He, says, you, he tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And I hope you guys don't think we teach the Bible because we think the Bible gives you eternal life. No, this is why we teach you the scriptures. He says, and it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We don't bring people to church because we think in church they'll get saved. We want to bring people to Jesus. Bring them to church is great if we think church is where they're going to meet Jesus. We don't read the Bible or quote the Bible to people because we think somehow that's going to magically save people. It's Jesus who saves people. We want people to know Jesus. In fact, it's interesting because it's often our own self-righteousness that keeps us from preaching the free gift of righteousness to people, from sharing that. What, what am I talking about? Go, go back to the, the first part of chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Go back to the first four verses, okay? Let's look at these first four verses quickly. So we understand the Jesus that we're preaching, right? Paul, of course, says in verse 1 that he's praying, his desire, his heart, and his prayer is that God would save these people, Israel, who have rejected Christ. Look at verse 2. Sorry, uh, uh, yeah, verse 2. He says that they have a, a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. In other words, their zeal for God is based on something that doesn't align with what God says of how he saves people, of how God wants to make himself known. And he says in verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, that's their own righteousness, they did not submit to, the right, to God's righteousness. So what's God's righteousness? He kind of gives us a hint here in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, that is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness, to everyone who believes. In other words, the gospel we preach, the message we preach is not, you should be better because the way you're living is not good and Jesus wouldn't be happy. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, God's not pleased with same-sex same relationships. That's not the gospel. It's true, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is not, you know, you, you, we, we should be voting this way or that way. The gospel is not, you know, we should only be focused, our focus should be on meeting the needs of the poor. That's true, but it's not the gospel. The gospel, listen, is that the poor, the people that most society want to ignore, are the ones that God says, I want the gospel to go to them. Because what they need to know is that when they feel totally unable to do anything right, that they feel like they can never be good enough for church people, let alone good enough for God, that the good news is none of us are good enough for God. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus is Christ's righteousness. And the more we appreciate that free gift we've been given, the more we'll want to share it. See, when we don't define the good news as Jesus, we define the good news as just words from Jesus or a lifestyle that we inherit from Jesus. If we define the good news like that, one, it's not going to sound very good to people. And two, guess what? We probably won't share it because people will really think you guys are self-righteous. And we would be. No, God's calling us. Listen, he's calling us to be the kind of people who don't just welcome new people into church, but seek to share the real Jesus with people, anyone who will listen. We want to actually communicate who he is to people. Now, look at verse 16. Beautiful feet also look for a response, not just for understanding. In verse 16, Paul writes this. He says, 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes Isaiah 53.1. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, the Old Testament book of Isaiah sometimes is called the fifth gospel because there's so much in there about the coming of Christ and what Christ would do for people, specifically how Christ would reach the Gentiles. But the reason he's saying this is, 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 is Paul, it's important for us to understand this, okay? Paul is, is telling us something that's important. He's telling his readers something that's important. He's saying, listen, the gospel needs to be obeyed as much as it needs to be believed. What, what did we read earlier? I should have put it in my notes where the exact verses were, but I can find them quickly. Yep, he says, he talks about in verse 9, if, we confess, if you confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is what? Lord, right? And then he goes on to say later on uh, in, in verse 12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. See, one of the things that also can be weak in our evangelism is we can preach Jesus as a Savior. Really what we end up, people end up hearing is the idea of Jesus is what's going to save us. The idea of self-sacrifice or the idea of just being kind to people or the idea of grace. The lead singer of U2 famously said that, there is n- that, that the world runs on karma, that is, you reap what you sow, but, God bring a, or, but Jesus brings a better message, the message of grace, and I believe the message of grace. It's a good thing to say. But grace is more than a message. It's a person. Jesus, God the Son, full of grace and truth. It's Him. You see, part of one of the the things that makes us able, makes us have beautiful feet, (laughs) is, 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 is recognizing, Lord, you're Lord. You're worthy to be followed and trusted and obeyed. I obey the gospel because you told me that this is this is the only way. So here's here's the reason this is important. Jesus is the rescuer. And the rescuer only gives one option to the one who wants to be rescued. Now, if you don't want to be rescued, you, you don't want to be rescued. It, it breaks his heart. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the scripture says. But if people don't want to be rescued, they don't want to be rescued. But when it comes to people who are thinking, yes, I need something more in my life, he says, okay, here's the one option. It's me. That's what Jesus says. It's me. Can you imagine if you were drowning in a river? Oh, I'm going under. I'm not going to make it. Ah. And someone comes up to you and they go, it's okay, it's okay. I have life preservers. You want a pink one, a blue one, an orange one? What you like? I don't care. No, it's important. I want you to feel like you have a choice here. What color would you like? Well, what, what suits your needs? This one's got flowers on it. This one's a little bit big. This one's a little bit small. Which one would you like? You go, that's nuts. No, he, they throw you the ugly orange one and say, this is what's going to save you. Grab onto it. And we're calling people to do that. We're calling people to trust Jesus. Do you know what the word preach means? It means to proclaim. It means to herald, like a, like a public herald would herald. We, we're not bringing up clever ideas that we're trying to share with people. We're saying, this is who God is. He's good and trustworthy. This is what he says. Trust me. You can trust him. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not a place for us to to wrestle with people with their ideas. But I'm saying the gospel is about us saying, here's what God says, trust me. Are you going to obey that or not? 
we need to call people to, to believe this is Jesus is Lord. Do you, maybe this has been your experience. I don't know, maybe when you were converted, when you came to faith, those of you who are Christians, when you came to faith, did you come to faith thinking that, okay, that's cool, I don't have to go to, I don't have to go to hell, that's a really nice thing, and you know, uh, having my sins forgiven is nice, and then you kind of just figured you could live your life any way you wanted? Did you feel that way? Because if you felt that way, you probably didn't hear the gospel. Because the gospel is that Jesus is Lord, and he's a good Lord, and we can trust him. We can trust him because he died to make sure that we could be forgiven and set free forever. Now look at verse 16 again when he quotes this, right? How beautiful is it? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, okay? It's important that we talk about not only do people have to obey, but that we need to understand that understanding itself, people understanding the gospel is not the same as having saving faith. We have to recognize this, okay? Because one of the things that can happen to us is we can think to ourselves, as long as people know the gospel, then they're going to be saved. In fact, we can, I've heard the this, this scripture, I probably used the scripture, early, earlier scriptures from Romans 10 to make that point. Hey, you just believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and they rose from the dead, boom. Do you, do you get the basics? Then do you understand the basics? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I understand the basics. Cool. Yeah, I want to be saved. And it can be, we can try to almost oversimplify it. But here's the reality. The reality is Paul's clearly making it in this context, especially because he's talking about Israel, saying they understood the gospel, but they didn't believe it. They understood it, but they didn't believe it. This is why we need to look for response, not just for understanding. Look what he says in verse 19. Here, here Paul's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 32. He says, for I ask, did, did Israel not understand? Because first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Now, the take home of this is not trying to make people jealous or angry, okay? The, the, the point is, Paul is quoting this because in the context that Paul's quoting, Moses is rebuking Israel because they had the revelation of who God really was. That they understood who God was, that their God, the God of their, their fathers, the God who delivered them from Egypt, their God was the God, and they still chose to worship idols instead. So they understood the truth, they just didn't believe it. And so we need to make sure that we're calling people to trust God. This is hard, isn't it? It's hard for us to trust God. Ryan and I were just talking at the break how hard it is to trust God. That we can know everything right in our heads. Like I can't remember how he said it, but he said something along the lines of, I, I know exactly what's right in my head, but my heart doesn't want to hold on to it. That is us all the time, isn't it? We understand the truth. We just don't trust him who is the truth. Again, you're going, that doesn't sound like evangelism. It sounds like discipleship. There is no difference. There is no difference. He says in verse 20, Paul goes from quoting Moses to quoting Isaiah. He says, um, Isaiah is so bold to say in verse 20, I have found those who did not, I was found, have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So God chooses Israel. Israel says, not, nah, we don't want this. And God's predicted in Isaiah, that's okay, I'll go to the Gentiles, and that will provoke you to know this is what you're missing. Now, there is a take-home in this. And there's a take-home that, that, that we should be enjoying the Lord to a point that people go, gosh, I wish I could believe like you. 
Man, that, that is this, it's probably the best compliment a non-believer can give to us. I wish I could believe like you because they see that, that, that our faith in Jesus is having a positive impact on us. It's changing us for the better. I was sharing with, uh, with Alan uh, over text uh, last week and I was just, I wanted to share with him. He was, he was sending me a nice text to thank me for walking with him through this difficult year, this difficult six months. And I, and I said, no, I need to thank you because I know how hard this has been for you. I can only imagine how hard this has been for you, how you've endured. But your perseverance makes me want to persevere. It's you that's helping me. Because I, I, I look at what happened to their family, and I don't think, God, you're not good. I think, God... Please don't do that for me. And, and you have to help them because if it was me, I would want to run away. And I see God helping them. And you think they couldn't take another step. They keep walking. I think, wow, God, you keep your people. You're good. You're trustworthy. I don't want to go through what they've gone through, but I want faith like that. Understanding doesn't equal saving faith. Responding to God and trust is what saving faith is. Lastly, look at verse 21 here. But of Israel, God says, now he's going to quote Isaiah 65, verse 2. He says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We usually kind of focus in on the disobedient and contrary people, but the point that God's making through Isaiah, the point that Paul's saying, he's saying, I keep holding out my hands. You see, listen, this is the, it's so important for us to see that people's rejection does not equal God's unwillingness. The fact that we try to share Jesus with people and they don't seem to ever listen doesn't mean God doesn't still want them to know him and he's not still working. There was a young man in, in my youth group many, many years ago named Richie. And Richie was a monster. Hey, Richie, if you're listening to this, I know you say Amen. Richie was an absolute, I mean, this kid was a terror. He was the kind of kid that would put firecrackers in the toilet. He was the kind of kid that would, 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 would pants people in the middle of a service. You know, you know what I mean by pants people? Okay, good. He, I mean, this kid was just so hard. I was constantly saying, dude, you cannot come back next week. You come back in two weeks when you have a better attitude. It was just like, oh, Richie. He would drive me crazy. When we'd go on long trips as youth, and we knew Richie was coming, we literally would have extra time to pray for Richie. Guys, can we just stop and pray for Richie before we get, he gets in the van? Richie was a pain. And he was in the youth group for about three years, and then he got a little older, and he was kind of being a teenager, and he did a teenage thing. And to be honest, I just thought, we'll never hear or see Richie again. And he sent me a message some 15 years after he was in my youth group saying, thank you for being the first godly example in my life. He says, uh, about five years ago, I got saved. And about four years ago, I met my wife. And we've been married, and we have two children. I mean, that kid was does not seem willing to hear anything we had to say. We tried everything. But God hadn't wasn't finished. He wasn't finished. Listen. have beautiful fruit. We need to be looking for people to respond. But trust God when they don't. Trust God if they're not responding. Now, I know this isn't a message that you listen to and go, 
I can't wait to evangelize. <laughs> but I hope this is a message where you go, you know what? This is what we're supposed to be about. I hope this makes you be a people that says, I want to really engage in my home group and pray for people and listen to the sermons and think, how can I be equipped to reach my family and friends and coworkers? This is kind of what we're, we're wanting to stir you up towards. One of the beautiful things about the 24th service, besides it being so packed and manic, was how many people from Servants Church went and spoke to the people who weren't from Servants Church. It was lovely. It was beautiful. It was evangelism. It's exactly how it's supposed to happen. Now, all of this is not about Servants Church getting any glory. I really pray that 2023 is our most fruitful year yet. I mean that. I don't just mean, I don't, I'm not just talking about like numerical growth, so there's nothing wrong with numerical growth. I'm talking about that we as God's people grow, that we're more in love with Jesus, we're, we're, we're more in love with our neighbors, we're more in love with our families. We just really grow as Jesus followers. And that part of that is, Lord, we want to be like you. The Father sent you, Lord Jesus, we want to be sent. You exemplified and personified and preached the gospel. We want to be the same by the power of your Holy Spirit. This is about God's glory. In just a minute, Josh is going to come back up and we're going to sing a song where the tune is really familiar, but the lyrics are going to be new. But I, I want to, as, as Josh, you can go ahead and come up. You're getting, you're getting ready. And, and we're going to, while the song is being played and while we sing this song, we're going to come forward as we feel led and get the elements of communion. And we're going to remember the Lord together. We're going to remember what he's done to save us, what he's done to save the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. We're going to do that in a minute. Before that, let me just kind of close with these three basic things, three ways to make our feet beautiful. One, maintain good relationships. I mean this, maintain good relationships in your family, with your church, in your neighborhood, with your neighbors. And this is why, because Jesus said, they'll know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. We're not perfect people, but we're people that pursue reconciliation. It's not up to us to make sure every relationship works, but it is as much as depends on us to try to make peace with all men. So do what you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the, the wisdom that God promises to give to keep your relationships in your family, with your neighbors, and your co-workers where they're meant to be. This is going to be the first step towards evangelism, towards having beautiful feet. The second one would be start praying, and I mean this specifically. Start praying that God would give you a heart for those that are nearest to you. Because those that are nearest to you, those that are in the circle of, of, of uh, you're not just your, I was going to say circle of influence, that's not what I'm wanting to say. Those of you that are in, in, in your interactive area, the people that you interact with, ongoing customers that you have at work, or neighbors that you see all the time, or family members, or whoever it is that you know that doesn't know yet know the Lord, Start praying for them specifically. Quick testimony. When I encouraged the youth group to start praying specifically for people, we had our youth group on, on Sunday night, 
and on Wednesday night. And the Sunday night group was a bit more intense, a bit more prayer focused and stuff. And we, 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 we put ourselves into groups of twos and threes and we said, let's bring to those groups of twos and threes. We'll be committed for the next eight weeks to each pray for three people. You bring three people and each person in your group will bring three people and your twos and threes will pray for three people. And I got hooked up with a guy named Montana Fox. He was our worship leader. Cool name, I know, Montana Fox. Great guy. Young guy, teenager. And he prayed for his auntie. He prayed for his cousin, his cousin Chris. And he, he, he prayed for his cousin Tara. And I, I think I was asking for my brothers, two of my brothers and, and one other person. So we prayed together every Sunday night for about eight weeks. You know what happened? Not a single one of the people that were on my list got saved. But of the three people on his list, first it was his cousin Chris. His cousin Chris, I remember the day he got saved, where God just got a hold of his heart. He had been coming around and, and asking questions and was really struggling with what life was about. This was a gifted, talented young man who was top of his class at, at, at college and was doing really, really well. But it wasn't enough. And then his sister Tara got saved. And then their mom got saved. Tara is married to one of my uh, ex-interns, and they have a lovely family and are serving Jesus in the church. His auntie got married to one of our deacons, and they're doing really well, and they're serving Jesus in the church. Chris took my place when I came here to start a church, and then went on to pastor, co-pastor, the largest church in the county there, bearing fruit. And I do believe this started, why? Because we said, let's just pray specifically. If we just pray, God, we want you to save everyone. No, God, give us your heart for these people and do something in their lives. And I, God answered those prayers. And they weren't the only people that got saved from the, the, that prayers of those youth group. Hey, if teenagers can do it, you can do it. So start praying for God's heart for the lost and for those around you that don't know Jesus. And I would encourage you guys in your home groups to do this. Let it be part of the notes that you keep for your home groups. We're praying for this person, this person, this person. If each of you guys just kind of picked three people and started interceding, God, would you do this? Show us how to even pray for those people and see what God would do. The last one would be this. You want beautiful feet? Learn to ask questions and listen. I know that's a bit hypocritical of me to say I'm a horrible listener. <laughs> but man, if we would just let people say what they believe, what, what's, what moves them, what drives them, if we would just listen to their story, you know, it's, if we would take time to hear people's stories, and it might take months to hear people's stories, you know what ends up happening? We end up knowing exactly how the gospel fits into their life. But when we're just like, you got to hear, you got to hear, John said that you have to hear, you have to hear. Now, ask. Remember, all this is for the glory of Christ. It's for us to see Jesus better and for us to make him seem better. So we're going to sing this last song. I'm sure Josh will give you some information about it. And as a song, as, as we sing the song together, as the Lord leads, feel free to come up and grab your portion and go back to your seat, and then we'll do communion together.